technology, the way it's going is a lot of it is R&D. A lot of it is like we're still trying to figure out what that sweet spot is between AR and VR and MR or whatever the different X for the R is. We're trying to still figure that out of what is the one that people are going to like. I'm Jeff Cobb. I'm Salisa Steele. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 269 of the Leading Learning Podcast, the fourth installment in our seven-part series on the frontiers of learning technology. This episode features a conversation with Sam Sanandaji, founder and CEO of Modestry, a Canadian company providing immersive software to empower non-technical people to create and maintain their own augmented reality and virtual reality training. Before starting Modest Tree in 2011, Sam worked as a programmer in video game development. Recognized as a leader in XR learning, Sam brings technical, hands-on expertise of how extended reality works to his understanding of the needs and pain points immersive technologies can successfully address. Salisa spoke with Sam in March 2021. So you and I are talking as part of a series that we're doing on the frontiers of learning technology. So I just want to start by asking, when you hear that phrase, frontiers, learn tech, what comes to mind? When you say frontiers of learn tech, is the groups or the industries of people who are trying to change the scope of the platform as it exists, as the training is evolving, our consumption of it is evolving as well, our attention spam is lowering, we need more flashy things in front of us. And we heard the phrase death by PowerPoint all the time. So to me, it's like this frontier is hopefully we're in the direction of changing that and trying to, as everything else evolves, our phones evolve, our world evolves, our training also has to evolve. And so I think it might be helpful, you know, as we begin to talk, because I know that XR is obviously an area of focus for your work. And so maybe just to do a little level setting, could you briefly define AR, VR, XR. Yes, absolutely. There are three different things. Uh, well, two of them are similar, but one is very different. X is more, XR is more of like the variable of X. You can put whatever in there. And then the reality would end there. So it could be mixed reality or augmented reality or extended reality. Once you put the X in there, it's could be whatever you want. However, what VR, VR is for kind of taking someone into a virtual world that is immersing them into that environment and closing off our existing world we're in. So once you put that goggle on, I'm no longer at my desk. I could be in a soccer field and kicking the ball around. Well, of course, I have to stand, but or maintaining an engine or learning on how to do something within that space that the creators created for me. But when we're talking AR, that's more of a wearable thing that we're just trying to augment our existing reality, let's say. Hopefully, at some point, we can use our normal glasses to do this or or contact lenses and get this data and information through. But augmented reality is to augment what we're seeing in the day-to-day. So I could look at this monitor that I'm looking at and have information about it popping out or data that can get delivered to me to augment my existing life, let's say. Thank you for those definitions. So which trend or trends in learn tech do you think might be, you know, the shiny objects that we're pursuing, but that are maybe distracting us from what really matters? Does anything come to mind that sort of falls in that camp of maybe overhyped? 
the shiny products that constantly gets released, the new headset that this company is working on or the new uh, device that's going to be coming out, at the end of it, the truth of it is we get distracted by it because it's very shiny and we see some material that the marketing team put together and 90% of the time is not the real equipment or what we're going to get from that. Then you put the headset on and you're like, well, that's not what they promised. But also the fact that there's a new device and it's very confusing what does what and not getting kind of lost into what the new variable or the new headset's coming in until it becomes something that all the consumers can pick up out of the store. And you don't need to spend upon thousands of dollars to get access to one or be part of the special group to get access to this device. They're kind of distracting from the fact that, hey, VR is great when you want to use it for the purpose of giving muscle memory and giving people, taking them and immersing them in that environment. And, learn. you know, it's better than sitting behind your computer and clicking with a mouse for the purpose you want to use it. So the focus for LearnTech, it's for me, it's about what are the stuff that's going to go through it and how we can evolve the old way of doing things, of training through this technology, not to get with a shiny object gets kind of derailed of, let's integrate this new headset. We have that happen to us in our company that we have a lot of tech people here and they see a new headset that Microsoft announces or some other company announces. And they're like, let's go order one. Let's see how it works. Let's, and it's like, well, no, no, no. We have to first figure out how the first one we were or the idea behind it, the delivery was supposed to be done. So to kind of shorten what I said is basically all the new marketing material and use cases we see on YouTube and and the new headsets coming out, kind of not to let it derail the, the main concept of actually the method of delivery of, of our of the content. And so then on the flip side, are there trend or, or trends in learn tech that you think have the most potential for significant positive impact in the near future? And by near future, I'm thinking, you know, roughly three years out. I mean, hopefully, there are trends that these uh, devices or equipments are becoming mainstream, that they are becoming something that you can spend half a price of your phone or almost the same price as your phone on it. Now, when it comes to the usability of these trends, which is, it's been great that I'm seeing that a lot of companies are getting involved and giving it a chance of, let's try something or a lot of educational Areas like, hey, let's, especially with the current state of the world, it has helped move that forward. As like, hey, we have to be home, might as well do it in the VR and learn that way with our classmates, but be immersed in this different world because we can meet face to face or be on campus, do something. So they're opening the road to the new tech and evolving the game technology into the training side and learning has become very valuable. And if as long as we continue that way and also the hardware kind of follows us along, the trend will continue and we will be at a point that we can have everybody could be able to have a headset and they're okay with this new method of delivery and now can comfortably use it. So broadly, how would you characterize the future of XR? And I'm going to, again, kind of keep you on that relatively short timeline of roughly, you know, three years out or so, you know, do you think there's going to be major breakthroughs in the next three years? Is it going to be more of kind of an incremental innovation? Is it going to be a mix of breakthrough and incremental innovation? Is it going to be something else? For XR side of things, it always comes down to the lower technology that's underneath it. Um, we have seen huge leaps in, in graphical powers of computers lately with some of the new graphic cards coming out. 
We've seen some new leaps in the chipsets for the phones that are coming out that allowing us to push the boundaries for XR technologies as well. The thing is that currently with the state of technology, the way it's going is a lot of it is R&D. A lot of it is like we're still trying to figure out what that sweet spot is between AR and VR and MR or whatever the different X for the R is. We're trying to still figure that out of what is the one that people are going to like. In three years' time, our technology of hardware goes to a point that I can put my sunglasses on and I can buy that sunglasses for the same price I buy normal sunglasses, maybe a little more, and I can get that augmented feedback out of it. Sure. I mean, Google Glass tried, but the idea was great. The, con- the execution wasn't turned out as well as it was hoped. And at, until we get the mainstream usability out of it, and of the hardware cost is the key thing. In the next three years, I don't think we're going to make that huge leap. But I do see in the next five years or six years, if we get to a point that there is a standard in the industry of VR headsets and there's a standard for AR headsets. Right now, I mean, if you look at phones, almost every phone you look at, doesn't matter if it's Apple or Android, they all kind of look the same and work the same. They turn out to be standard. The hardware is different, but interface-wise, you have your little buttons and you click on it and something happens and you go to your app and so on. Until we get this technology to that point that from the hardware perspective and the technology, like the usability perspective is there. And the good thing is gaming industry is pushing that a lot for us. Gaming industry is taking it and pushing it a bit more forward, but it's still yet to be that standard headset. If I ask anybody who works in this industry and say, hey, what's your preferred VR headset? Every one of them will have a different one from a different brand, from a different company. I think that's a really interesting point about needing more standards, more uniformity so that there can be broader adoption, right? So that whether I pick up headset A or headset B, I can make use of whatever educational experiences is available to me. And that the experience would be roughly the same, like you're saying, sort of, you know, regardless of which operating system you're on for a, a smartphone, for example. If you're looking for a partner to help you explore the frontiers of learning technology, check out our sponsor for this series. BenchPrep is a pioneer in the modern learning space, digitally transforming professional learning for corporations, credentialing bodies, associations, and training companies for over a decade. With an award-winning learner-centric cloud-based platform, BenchPrep enables learning organizations to deliver the best digital experience to drive learning outcomes and increase revenue. The platform's omni-channel delivery incorporates personalized learning pathways, robust instructional design principles, gamification, and near real-time analytics that allow organizations across all industries to achieve their goals. More than 6 million learners have used BenchPrep's platform to attain academic and professional success. BenchPrep publishes regular content sharing the latest in e-learning trends. To download our latest eBooks, case studies, white papers, and more, go to benchprep.com resources. We're truly grateful to BenchPrep for helping to make this series possible, and we encourage you to find out more at benchprep.com resources. Now, back to Salisa's conversation with Sam Sanandaji. So I've been asking about that relatively short time frame, you know, the roughly three years out, you know, you were sort of saying that you think in XR, it's going to be kind of R&D, but, you know, no huge breakthroughs. You were sort of saying a little further out, there may be more of this standardization, costs may be coming down. But any other thoughts on kind of, you know, out in the future, what XR might look like? Usually, if you're looking at technology, there is that three release life cycle. 
that the best one usually comes out. So the first one is usually the the device or the hardware or whatever it is comes out and it's always like, hey, this is innovative and it's amazing, but you know what? It's not accessible and it has all these glitches and issues and usability problems. Then the second one will come out and they improve on, upon that and the price goes down and, and many different things happens and technology gets better and they learn from the last one. Then the third release comes out that usually is the one that makes things a lot more easier for the users and it makes it almost closer to mainstream as possible, which becomes where we need to be. Right now, in many cases, we're in that second line. And I feel that going back to that standard, there is stuff in the next 10 years that I have a feeling that we'll have a breakthrough, which is, I mean, there's technology right now and work to make contact lenses that have chips in them for augmented reality. Now, the real question comes... Are you going to put that in your eye, right? So that's the other part of it is that many of us would be like, I would never put a chip in my eye, you know, even though it's a contact lens that I can take off. I don't trust it. What is going to do to my eye? And there's also the lack of information of spending 20 hours in VR. Is that acceptable? Or having that AR headset or sunglasses that gives me information. Are we okay with that? There's a lot of unknowns here for us to discover. But in the next 10 years, as the graphics and the hardware and the chipset that grows. Also with 5G being introduced, 5G coming through and allowing us to get access to that data set, the information that we need in a lot faster and more you know, speedy way of getting access to it, then it seems that we are moving to that direction of kind of making it mainstream. So if we collectively get it right, what do you think is the good that we might see from either learn tech in general, or if you want to focus it on, on XR or AR or VR, in the near future, you know, that next three years, what would it look like to get it right? What are some of the things we would have to do to get it right? And what would be the good that could come from it? I don't think we should look at it and say, if we get it like that, we should get it right. Because with the new workforce coming in, you know, kids that are in their 20s, and they're just coming in from school, they have a way different way of thinking and educating than we do. If we're talking workforce, even if during the education time while they're in high school, they have a different way as they're growing up than the way I was growing up, which was here's a bunch of books. The teacher's going to talk briefly about it and let's go. Or here's this manual, figure it out. And maybe there is, if you're lucky, there's an online course that you can click and go to PowerPoint slides and have some video. But with the current kids and the current way our, the youth is coming up, it's something that we need to keep the retention of their attention in there. And the retention rate drops if the learn tech is not there to evolve the, the type of training we're doing. So what we need to do is collectively try to improve the methods of learning as much as we can to the direction that it, it has the highest retention rate. And as it seems, based on some set of data set that exists out there of whatever level of research that was done is not high, but the retention rate is a lot higher than sitting behind the monitor when you introduce XR. So you get the engagement up, you get the retention up, then we allow the workforce to, the new workforce that is replacing myself and the others to kind of come in and say, hey, we learned in a better way, but also uh, I'll go a little further of saying, hey, using AI and being able to capture that legacy knowledge to get feedback into this training methods, then we end up doing something that, and not only we're improving the training as we're going, because the old days of manually building these teachings is might not be the best option. We might want to look into 
doing data-driven teachings and data-driven training when it comes to that, and then use the data we get from the end case, which is this, the learners from the other end, to improve that learnings, and then at the same time use our own knowledge that as we're evaluating that to give it that uh, legacy knowledge so they can even learn better. And our knowledge doesn't go with us when we leave. That happens a lot in the maintenance world. You have someone who's been in a job for 30 years. The manual might not say take that cable and put it on a side when you open the cover, but he knows it to do that because if he doesn't, that cable gonna fall behind the cover and he has to dig for it. Well, how do you capture that, right? So if we be able to use a proper feedback mechanism of the teaching and the learning to be able to evolve that and then deliver through a method of delivery that these youth that are coming through are comfortable with, I think that's where we start getting somewhere with it. I really like the emphasis you put on both the potential of learn tech, you know, during the learning experience, right, to make that actual content that needs to be taught more engaging. You also mentioned then the sort of the after the learning experience, right, that the retention can be higher using some of these learn tech tools. And then that last point around kind of pulling out the the tacit knowledge, right, the the knowledge that resides within the workforce that may not have been pulled out and that Learn tech has the possibility to really help us in all those dimensions, which we know are so important to effective learning. So on the flip side, if we get it wrong, what are the dangers that might come from XR or more broadly learn tech, if you'd like? What are the pitfalls that we have to avoid? We have this problem right now with phones that you see many times, and there's a lot of memes about this, people sitting around the dinner table and they're all looking at their own phone. Well, imagine instead of having my phone in my hand, I'm spending 10 hours in this headset. I am talking to everybody virtually. I am fully comfortable doing so because also there is certain fears and anxiety that doesn't exist there anymore. I don't have to worry to look someone in the eye or because... Some people are not comfortable with that. And I come from, like I mentioned, from the programming background. Well, 90% of the programmers, this is just a number I came up with. Don't quote me on it. It's not written anywhere. But from the ones that I've met are introverts. They don't like to talk to people as much. They don't like to engage. They like to do their task and code and build very cool tech. But they like to live in their own little bubble. And VR and XR makes that, in a positive side, makes that very easy to do and makes that they can engage and talk to. And a lot of them are gamers. So gaming does that. You can talk to someone you don't know across the planet and it's good for that. But also it's bad that you just might get used to that world and that you lose the social skills and you become very comfortable. I'm going to live in my XR world. That's one part of it, of course. The other part is we become too reliant to it, right? With all the heads-up display and all the technologies, for example, that going into cars, well, a lot of the new cars that are coming out of Europe are having augmented reality, which is the heads-up display. They're reflecting your speed and a bunch of information into your window in front of you so you don't have to look down or even be aware of it nowadays with all the sensors around the car that blocking. So at one point, does this stop that we actually become really bad drivers because we're relying on all this technology to help us or become an autonomous driving then that we're not even driving. So there's a pros and cons. There's certain skills that we're going to lose in the process. It's a learning balance, I guess, that as a unit, we have to work together to not lose some of those skill set that we gained. But I mean, it might not become necessary anymore. It's not that it's a bad thing that you 
forget how to talk to someone face to face or forget how to drive a car if there is no car to drive and all the cars are automatic who cares if you can't drive it right so it's kind of how much do you want to stick to the legacy information we have or the knowledge we have versus the technology moving us forward So I want to ask if you think there are problems or opportunities that we need technology to address. So in other words, what can't we do without XR? Are there things that sort of fall in that realm for you? As human beings, we are able to adapt to whatever you throw at us. So we're adapting to it without the XR at this moment. The real question is we always look at how we can improve it. And if you're talking organizations, usually they always have two things in mindset. One is how they can make more money or how they can save money. And if we're talking about educational stuff and schools and universities, like how can we teach better and how can the students learn better? So it's all about making what we have better. We didn't need cars because we had horses, but we made cars anyway. We didn't need airplanes because we had cars, but we made airplanes anyway. And we're making jets and so on because it just makes certain things better. How can we take that time? Because time is something we can get back. How can we take that and say, instead of taking us 10 days or 10 months to do something and make it in five months and at the same time get the knowledge base back? And I'll give you a very easy example of that. As it stands currently, we can all open a PDF document and read about how something works. And uh, I'll even go lower to, let's say, IKEA. If we go buy IKEA furniture, we have the manual sitting next to us. We can put it together. It can take us an hour or it, it could take us 20 minutes. But if we have some sort of XR technology or maybe augmented technology that feeding us information through our glasses or something, as we're putting it together by detecting what we're looking at, well, that process become more streamlined and instead of us frustrating and putting the wrong bolts and assembling it five times wrong, we just did it by following the information that's coming to us through some object detection and recognition and, and what we're doing in a lot faster and more meaningful way. And that applies to all industry. Having real data from if you're taking your car for a technician to support, if he can see everywhere within your car based on the sensors and the data set he's getting where every piece of equipment in, in your car is functioning and what's working and what's not working, he can diagnose it a lot faster and more accurately than trying to say, well, I think is this thing, let's go replace that or usually is this and then you find another issue comes out. Kind of that life cycle of your product starts improving as well at the same time. So it's, it's not that we can do things with that exercise. It's like how can we use it to amplify our processes and the way we do things, but also the one of the risks we face is, as I mentioned, the new workforce coming in has no interest in our old way of doing things. I work a lot in the military space, so many of the new recruits, or even in OEM space, many of the new recruits that are coming to do manufacturing and stuff, they are not very comfortable with sitting in a class and spending five days looking at slides of this guy talking about next page and next page. What they want is like, how about you give me a version of this equipment that is in a virtual world that I can play with the way I want, using your guidance to learn. And also there's no cost of destroying a real equipment. Also, you can train me on the untrainables. You can't set that engine on fire or like, how do you teach someone what to do if aircraft wing falls off? But if you can show it to them in a VR world, and then they react to it, 
and they create the responsive to it and they kind of feel the situation, then they get to do it in real life, but you never actually damage the real equipment. So if there's those benefits, that also comes with it. What advice do you have for a learning business that is looking to get started in XR and they're trying to decide what to, to focus on, what to invest in in the near term? But the advice I would give is not to get locked into the flashiness of things. There is a lot of a lot of companies make the mistake of seeing something in AR and VR and immediately going, getting the device, and then at the same time hiring some student from university that just graduated and say, hey, go build me this prototype. And they're like, wow, we made this prototype for in three months. And well, now let's apply to our whole organization. Well, that doesn't usually work that way because... It's going to take years of planning, and and if you want to do it right, you want to use your old data to help your new methods of delivery, not building things from scratch. So it would be that, not that prototyping is wrong, it's just not falling into that hole of, hey, we just did the prototype, it either worked or it didn't work, because we didn't execute it right. So therefore, XR is not for us. I always hear this from people that like, oh, I tried VR before, I didn't like it, or I tried it and uh, it's not for me. It's like, well, what did you try? You can go drive a tractor and not like it. But if I give you a Formula One, you would like that, right? So there is a difference there. And also as technology grew, some people have tried it five years ago where VR headsets or devices were not very clunky, made many motion sick because the frame rate was low. And now with the current tech and a lot of the new stuff that people putting all this optimization and effort in, we understanding how to not make people sick. The sick rate has, like getting motion sick from the content has dropped. I would say instead of doing a prototype project is trying to do a data-driven focus on, on trying to expand it from one prototype and try to use not to fall into the traps of press releases and, and these marketing videos that show you something extremely amazing that was rendered and being able to tell the difference between the rendered marketing thing and the real life thing that is going to be your stuff. You know, are there particular ingredients or, or factors that you think contribute to organizations' successful use of, of XR? To me, the, the big challenge I see in many organizations have is that they treat XR technology as the same old way of doing training, let's say. And the problem with that is because you're getting into that, let's say, the third dimension when you're talking about the XR, it's no longer two-dimensional things. We're talking three-dimensional things. And if you're talking AI and you're talking about 3D content and data-driven and, and so on and trying to build a holistic thing that you can have a full-featured product that is useful day-to-day -day and can grow, you can't just throw one student at it or two students at it. It's his own department, let's say. So having multiple people in the company doing poor type is one thing, being able to launch a successful product. And the key thing a lot of the companies don't realize is the maintainability of code. When you write code, code is like fruits. If you don't maintain it, it gets it's rots. So code that sits there that doesn't get updated, it rots. And it becomes, if I give you a very simple example of, if I use my phone and I make an app for my phone and it's perfect, let's say, uh, even though there's no such thing as perfect code because applications always have bugs, but let's say it's perfect and it works 100% of the time. Well, you know what? 
a week from now when Apple releases their update, they're going to break my app some way. Maybe not this week. They will break it next week. And as long as I'm not touching it, I'm not updating it, therefore it's dying. So building XR technology or immersive training is the same way. If you're not constantly updating it, it rots and it becomes useless. Companies spend millions of dollars building training, but six months from now, let's say we buy a car and I have all this training about my department, about my new car, and they all know how to maintain it, but there's a recall. And we changed a piece of equipment now that the three steps were added. But the documentation and the XR training doesn't have that. How do you deal with that? So that's one of the things that being able to have a team, it's all about having a team that is dedicated and three people is not a team. You know, you need a proper dev team that from design to development to maintenance that are working all together to maintain that data set and content. And a lot of the organizations make this mistake of, either forcing people that are not in that role to those roles that don't know how that works. There's a reason that, you know, this gaming industry is separate on its own thing because there's teams of designers, developers, testers, maintainers that are sitting there building that and constantly making sure it's running. So the same thing applies to organization. If they want to be successful at it, create a team. If you don't want to create a team and have overhead of 20 people doing that for you, then partner up with a company who can. Are there practical tips or suggestions about how to make practical use of AR or VR, you know, specifically for learning and education or pitfalls to avoid. And again, I know you've just touched on some like, you know, keeping the the code fresh and making sure that you have that team in place to do that, for example, but any other thoughts around sort of either do's or don'ts around successful use of AR and and VR? Find the reason you want to do this for. And once you find that reason, that would give you a a target to be able to quantify because it's always about the return on investment, right? If I'm going to spend a million dollars or hundred thousand dollars on doing something that it's been working for years, what is the outcome I want to do out of it? Is it that we're going to be safer and we're, you know, our staff going to be having a safer environment to work with when it comes to anything they're doing that is related to their work from equipment damage to equipment failure to fire and safety hazards? Or is it something that we want people to have a better retention? Because we forget things. I mean, do you remember what you were taught when you were in grade three? I don't remember. It was great, but I don't remember any of it. And this happens a lot in the industry that if we're talking, say, Navy, the soldiers learn certain tasks that would never happen until 20,000 hours into the ship's life cycle. Well, how are you expecting them to remember that and have that retention, right? So my advice is always like find the actual pain that you're trying to solve, then find how you want to solve it through what technology and what is the outcome for it. Because once you have that, you have your ROI. And now you can actually quantify it and say, hey, we were doing this this way. We use this technology. Of course, we had a bumpy road because you definitely have a bumpy road. Expect that. It's not going to be smooth sailing until you figure it out. But this is the outcome we got. We had the students who didn't like this course. But now we have the students fighting to to be the best in this course. And now they're learning better. Well, I really appreciate in particular that sort of emphasis on why getting really clear why you're even going to try AR or VR, XR, whatever any tech is, because if you're not clear on why you're using it, you don't have anything guiding all the choices that have to come once you've decided to explore that. 
So I appreciate that emphasis on getting clear on why you're doing it. Sam Sanandaji is founder and CEO of Modestry. Based in Nova Scotia, the company provides immersive software for enterprise digitization. Sam is passionate about educating others about the practical possibilities of XR. You can connect with him on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 269, and the notes include links to Sam on social media, along with a transcript and other resources related to this conversation. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 269, you'll also see options for subscribing to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss future episodes and to help us get some data on the impact of the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe. We'd be grateful if you would take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Jeff and I personally appreciate it and reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a review and rating. And we encourage you to learn more about the sponsor for this series by visiting benchprep.com slash resources. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 269, there are links to find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. <laughs>